welcome to the Bronovo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. All right, everybody, welcome along. It's another Thursday, and I'm here with you for another episode of the Bronovo Podcast. It's your host, Thomas Pierce. This week, I have a wonderfully special guest to me and to all of you. I think you'll enjoy our conversation, my sister, Megan Pierce. So in addition to being a great role model and friend for my whole life, Megan has a professional background in gender equity and voting rights, and she currently is the director of a nonpartisan nonprofit organization in Pennsylvania that advocates for election accessibility and promotes civic engagement. She has a background in a bachelor's degree in international affairs and women's studies and a master's in public administration. And she's been a longtime advocate for abortion rights, which is why our conversation is timely with the current uh, potential changes coming down in the U.S. because of the Supreme Court's uh, case they have coming up. So with all of that uh, out of the way, Megan, good afternoon. Welcome. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Good afternoon, Thomas. Well, I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Yeah, thanks for being here and for uh, being willing to talk. So as you know, the show, uh, we try to center topics that are generally not discussed. Um, this is a topic when it comes to abortion access and abortion rights that is discussed a good bit, but it's a very... Um, bitter conversation, we could say, or a very d- divisive conversation. Um, and I wanted to bring you on to, of course, get your perspectives, but also to for a bit of education about, um, you know, when we say abortion, what does that mean? And what exactly is, is kind of on the on the docket right now? Um, so for a little bit of framing, you know, the this whole discussion is often um, described or, or contextualized with the pro-life, pro-choice uh, as opposed to pro-abortion or anti-abortion. So with that language, what does that, what does that mean and why is there a difference? Yeah, that's, that's great framing. Um, and I wanted to start out the conversation by saying that I'll be using the terms pro-abortion or anti-abortion because instead of pro-life or pro-choice. So pro-life is a term that's used by the anti-abortion community that attempts to paint people who support abortion as pro-death, which is, of course, a false dichotomy. Um, It's also really important to say the word abortion to help decrease its stigma. So I really encourage others to use the word. um, And as we talk today, I'll be using the term pro-abortion. Sounds good. So I guess that, yeah, because that is um, a very convincing or... um, kind of emotionally pulling way to describe abortion and frame it that way. Um, Yeah. And then some other framing that I'll be using, um, you know, this is a discussion about pregnancy. So I'm generally going to be talking about women and using the term women, but the better term in general is people who can get pregnant. That's more inclusive because, of course, non-binary and trans people are excluded from that word and that language, and they can become pregnant, too. So, in general, better to use the phrase people who can become pregnant. And then just two other quick framings that I'll add um, is that abortion is healthcare, 
I'm not a medical professional. I cannot answer medical questions about abortion, but I am an advocate and someone who's thought about and studied and cared about this issue for a long time. And then lastly, I'll just just frame that I am coming to this conversation as a well-off white woman, cisgender woman. I have a good paying job. I have health care. I have access to transportation. And these are all factors which generally limit abortion access, especially if you live in a state where there's limited care and travels required. So I will always personally be able to access abortion no matter what happens in my home state. So my example, and this is really an example of a disparity of care, has been true about abortion access throughout history. White women have always been able to access abortion, white wealthy women, I should say. And limiting abortion adversely impacts low-income people and people of color. So as I'm talking us through all of this, I just want to name my own privilege and how I'm coming to this conversation. Thank you. And before we even get to the abortion conversation, I think it's interesting that you made it a point to, you know, identify that context. So when it comes to healthy communication and I guess responsible communication in any conversation we enter, why does it matter to do what you just did and kind of lay your cards on the table, if you will? I think it's important to not presume to speak for everyone um, and to just recognize what benefits you might have had in coming to the conclusion that you have or the rights that you have. Um, so, you know, in general, the reproductive justice, reproductive rights movement has not always been inclusive. It has been led by white women for white women. And so as we reframe this in terms of justice, in terms of access to care for everyone, that's important to just name how you're showing up. Right on. Mm -hmm. So Megan, with all that already said, why are you personally pro pro abortion? So what I learned through my years of study and in from speaking with medical professionals and lawyers and advocates is the fundamental truth that a woman's economic and social life outcomes are directly correlated with how many children she has. And to me, that's the crux of the issue. You know, being pro-abortion is about empowering women to make the decision that's best for her at the point that they become pregnant. Is she with the right partner? Does she have the financial, social, economic resources to provide a stable life for a child? Those are the questions that we need to be asking. Now, the truth is people in this country who become pregnant are not set up for success. And that is what gets lost in this argument a lot of the times in this pro, you know, what is life? What is pro-life? We do not have guaranteed paid parental leave. We do not fund childcare. We provide minimal financial support for people in poverty, mothers in poverty. We do not fund mental health care. The quality of our school system depends on where you live. And, you know, most people who get an abortion are already parents. You know, pregnancy is not an easy thing to do. It takes an enormous toll on your body and your mind and your spirit. And a lot of people who become pregnant are just simply not healthy enough, do not have access to quality health care to have a healthy pregnancy. And the U.S. has one of the highest maternal mortality rates for women of color of all developed countries. 
So our health system is not set up to be equitable. And if someone becomes pregnant and does not want to be, forcing them to give birth is not the answer. It's a violation of their human rights, including the rights to privacy and bodily autonomy. What were the formative experiences and things that led you to kind of begin that research and, and, and be uh, a transparent and vocal um, activist, if you will, in that space? And why are you passionate about it uh, at this point as an adult? Um, well, I've always been a raging, angry feminist. I think, Thomas, you can attest to that. <laughs> Um, so we grew up Catholic, uh, you and me and, and our brother. And from a very young age, I bore witness to how that religion relegates women to a second class position. In the family, women are supposed to be dutiful wives that bear children. And if you read the Bible literally, which unfortunately some people do, you know, women are supposed to be subservient to their husbands and our, our whole purpose is to to create children. And in our upbringing, sex education was pretty much non-existent and sex itself was framed as an act of evil unless you were procreating. And, you know, I have very vivid memories of our, quote, family life classes. You might remember these too. Uh, in which we were, you know, shown pictures of aborted fetuses and required to sign chastity pledges. And like, just even at a young age, I knew that was totally insane. And I credit our parents for teaching us to think for ourselves and to search for nuance and to challenge those belief systems. Our parents are both pro-abortion and openly told us that. Um, and, you know, we were really allowed to come to our own conclusions when it came to this topic. And I, I don't say this at all to vast Catholicism, because I think the religion has a lot to offer. And I love a lot of people who are Catholic. Um, and there's Catholics I know who, and love who don't take extreme fundamentalist positions um, like this. And I actually credit Catholicism for a lot of my passion for social justice in general. So it's it's kind of ironic, uh, um, you know, learning about things like liberation theology and about the church's push historically for the works, the rights of workers and poor communities. You know, that totally lit my heart on fire and set me on the path I am on today. Um, and like I said, I do think it's possible to be Catholic and to have kind of a nuanced position on this. There are really great organizations like Catholics for Choice, which fights for the right of people to choose based on their own consciences. And I know Catholics who would not personally have an abortion, but aren't lim interested in you know limiting other people's rights. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do think it's, you know, for those of people who are Catholic listening, I just want to frame this. Um, and, and share sort of where I'm coming from. But, you know, where my passion for this issue really kicked in uh, was in college. I studied in Argentina. And when I was living there in 2012, abortion was decriminalized in Uruguay, which is the country next to Argentina. And I was assigned a research paper on that issue and ended up devoting most of my undergraduate studies to this multi-year project examining abortion access in both countries and why that was. Um, and in Argentina, which has a strong Catholic influence in policymaking, 
abortion remained illegal until 2020. So, you know, again, like kind of this thread of Catholicism piquing my interest through all of this. Um, and in coming home to the States after that, you know, we have a lot of the same issues of religious influence and policymaking. So I was fired up about it then. I remain fired up about it now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. And I think that's a very nice, I guess, nuanced perspective on the church because, yeah, it's such a large and sprawling organization that has wide-ranging implications, good and bad. And, and yeah, I mean, fair play. I actually do remember one time in church um, when I was really young, they were talking about something that mom and dad didn't like, and our dad grabbed me and, like, walked me out down the center aisle in the middle of the Monsignor's uh, pontificating. <laughs> probably, I don't know what it was about, probably. It was about abortion. Or it was I, about abortion. I remember that vividly, too, because I was an altar server. And I remember sitting on the altar feeling like, well, I, you know, you're a teenager, so you're embarrassed that your dad is, like, doing something that's right. <laughs> that's, that's visible. But looking back on that, I, I'm just, I'm very proud of that moment, and I think the rest of us are, too. Yeah, I respect that a lot, for sure. Awesome. Cool. So there we go, some context setting. And right now, I guess a little further more contextualizing would be that this case, I believe it's from Mississippi, has made its way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, last week, there was a leaked uh, draft opinion um, by Justice Alito, uh, where it looks like the consensus in the court was to overturn um, Roe versus Wade. So that's a very top-down um, approach. But I guess for those who aren't really familiar with how the Supreme Court works and what the implications are, what does that mean necessarily if if the precedent or the, the court's ruling on that case were to change? Sure. So Roe versus Wade was a 1973 U.S. Supreme Court case uh, where the court ruled that the Constitution protects a pregnant person's liberty to choose to have an abortion. So it's a constitutional right. Um, and the anti-abortion movement has been working fervently ever since then to try to poke holes in this law. And what they've done successfully is bring the battle to the state level. So while abortion is federally legal to access, state restrictions on when and how people can access that care varies pretty dramatically. Um, and as litigation, I mean, litigation has, you know, attempted to go to the Supreme Court many, many times over the last couple of years. Um, but this case was brought back um, because right now there's a conservative majority of judges on the Supreme Court. So President Trump ran on an anti-abortion platform in 2016. He promised to overturn Roe versus Wade and then proceeded to nominate three highly conservative judges to the Supreme Court. Um, so that's why we are where we are. You know, he made a campaign promise. He's delivering on the promise. Um, and, you know, what you said is really important. The, there's a draft opinion leaked um, that was obtained by Politico which said that the court will vote to strike down Roe versus Wade. It's important, really important to say that this is a draft opinion and that the court's decision will not be finalized until it's published, which should be in about two months over the summer. Um, and it's just really, really important to recognize and say that abortion remains legal. 
This is a draft opinion. Clinics are open, um, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be prepared for the worst. Uh, so the immediate consequence of this decision would be to end federal constitutional protection for abortion rights. Each state would be allowed to decide whether to allow abortion and under what circumstances. So there's a lot of great resources and, and you know, websites you can visit um, to, to learn more about what your state will look like. Um, I highly recommend the Guttmacher Institute and the Center for Reproductive Rights. Um, but essentially, if the opinion becomes official, abortion rights would be protected in less than half of U.S. states. So this issue is going to just become a battleground at the state level. And it's why the 2020-2022 elections really matter. So in Pennsylvania, for instance, uh, we have a pro-abortion governor and a very anti-abortion legislature. So through Governor Wolf's veto pen, Pennsylvania has been protected from a lot of really hardlining abortion laws. Um, if a, if depending on who the governor is next, um, we'll have enormous implications for what happens in our state. So if you're not paying attention to the elections in your state, it's now time to do that, to, to look up your candidates, to see where they stand on this issue and, and to vote for the candidates that, that take the stance that you agree with. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you for the, for the context. So a lot of the, secrecy we could say or the reason why this is not really understood about what is and what isn't abortion is because there's not a lot of discourse about it because there's just like many um, biological and social processes that are put on women there's a lot of shame uh, judgment all of these kind of negative connotations for individuals pursuing this option so what is an abortion and Let's just leave it at that to start. What what is it as a as a kind of uh, a primer? Definitely, great question. So again, I am not a doctor. I am an advocate. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, an abortion is a basic medical procedure that ends a pregnancy. There are two kinds of abortion: uh, the abortion pill and an in clinic abortion. So medication abortion, which you might have heard referred to as the abortion pill causes cramping and bleeding that empties out your uterus. So it's basically like having a very heavy period and the process is, is very similar to having a miscarriage. Um, so in most states, the abortion pill can be taken up to 10 weeks after the first day of your last period. Um, if you're past 10 weeks, you can still get an in-clinic abortion, which is the second type of abortion. So in-clinic abortion, also called a surgical abortion, is a medical procedure. It works by using suction to empty your, your uterus. And if you how late you can get an abortion based on those laws, it, it varies tremendously by state um, and what healthcare center you go to, because not all you know healthcare clinics offer that. Um, but it's what's really important to know is that when abortion is undertaken by a healthcare provider in sanitary conditions. They are one of the safest medical procedures available. They are safer than childbirth. Um, abortion is very common. Worldwide, one in four people will have an abortion every year. And it's really imp important when talking about, you know, what is abortion, what is an abortion, 
it's just really important to note that people have abortions all the time, regardless of what the law is in their country or their state. You know, no matter what the circumstances, if women are desperate enough, they will end their pregnancies and they've been doing so throughout history. This is not a new phenomenon. So all that criminalizing abortion does is makes it unsafe and make it more likely that women's health are going to be at risks. So when you're talking about governments limiting access to abortion, people are going to be compelled to resort to unsafe measures, which can lead to horrible health consequences, even death. So the big picture thing to think about here is just that criminalization and restrictive laws disregard the expertise of the the medical community. It puts women at risk um, and it doesn't allow women and their doctors to make the best decision for them at that point when they become pregnant. Totally. Yeah. One of my biggest um, concerns about exactly you said criminalizing it is just because just like drugs and alcohol, sex work, all of these things are going to continue to happen whether or not the state is trying to criminalize it. And the situation like, like you said, abortion where it's now there's a lot of evidence-based practice behind the safety and the efficacy of an abortion. And if we just, especially in States where there's a hard line um, prohibitions around it, those, those individuals are either going to, you know, have to go out of state, which is then going to affect their health in other adverse ways or go through some kind of black market to get at the procedure done. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, and I don't think people really understand how difficult it is to travel out of state and how many restrictions there already are on getting an abortion. So for example, in Pennsylvania, there's a mandatory 24 hour wait period. So if someone were to travel to Pennsylvania from say Mississippi, where they have one abortion clinic, <laughs> Um, and comes to Pennsylvania, you know, it's the cost of traveling there. It's time off from a job that you might not have time off for. It's lodging. Um, it, and then it's the expense of the procedure, assuming you have healthcare or don't. Um, so it is already tremendously prohibitive um, to get it. And our policies, you know, we're just making the process more and more harder to access by, by, by taking, by limiting and, and adding more hurdles for people to jump over, which is the purpose. It's why we have the state laws varied the way that they are. It's all intentional. It's all to make it harder to access. Totally. And when it comes to thinking about what promoted this conversation, it's legislation and individual um, state legislatures in the United States who have an agenda. It's their belief system. Uh, But another question I feel like needs to be raised is that the, makeup of these legislatures that are trying to make these laws do not necessarily reflect the abortion seeking population, right? So the people who are trying to get abortions and the people making these laws are very different uh, groups of people. And I think that is something I'm curious to hear about from you as well, because it gets into this whole idea of you know, we're a representative democracy here in the States, but in this scenario, the the body making the laws is not representative of who the laws are affecting. Uh, so why does that matter? It matters because overwhelmingly our state legislatures are white and old men, <laughs> not the population seeking abortion. 
Um, so, so as you said, you know, these leaders are not necessarily in the position to understand and empathize um, with this experience. And that is changing. Um, you know, we're increasingly getting more folks, more people of color, more women into office, but it's been a steady uphill battle. And it's also not to say that there aren't, you know, anti-abortion women who are currently in office doing everything they can to, to limit this. Um, I think it's just really important to note also that despite this being a hot button debate, um, there's a lot of public support for abortion that isn't being reflected in the Supreme Court case and some of the laws we're seeing at the legislative level, at the state level. The abortion debate is often framed as a legal binary, like you're pro-choice or you're pro-life. But the reality is, a majority of Americans say abortion should be legal in all or most cases. So Gallup does a lot of polling on this and their polls show from last year, May, that American support for abortion in all or most cases is about 80%. Some want restrictions imposed, um, like how far along in pregnancy you can get an abortion. Some want abortions to only be allowed if the pregnancy results by rape or incest. However, just the general support for this is clear. And what these polls really demonstrate is that there's a very vocal minority that has been empowered to turn religious belief into public policy. And they've taken this issue, which has not always been as controversial, and they've taken it um, and they've used it to put money and power behind it and to elect people whose voices do not represent the majority of Americans. So this is what simultaneously enrages me and also empowers me because there is there is numbers behind this movement and we have to take action. You know, we have to vote. We have to care about this and watch what's happening because unfortunately this has been a long time coming. You know, the writing was on the wall for a really long time. For sure. And that's also the, what I was thinking too, is that, so let's say it's overturned Roe versus Wade. That's not going to be the end of the discussion. You know, there are immediate implications for, those people in states where now there are trigger laws that are going to prevent them from, you know, getting that care, but it's going to be a longer discussion and kind of a, a more long-term uh, fight, I guess, if you will. Um, one of the things I like to do in the podcast is to, you know, uh, normalize empathy as well and kind of uh, promoting more civic discourse. So, just like there are a lot of people who uh, believe that abortion and access should be available for everyone. There are people who feel very strongly that it should not be accessible. So from your perspective, you know, how do you square that circle as far as, you know, maintaining empathy and respecting the dignity of everyone while also kind of strongly disagreeing with, with these individuals? Yeah. So I think, the way that I've always looked at it is that you can personally be anti-abortion and you can choose to not personally have one and to believe that it's wrong and to believe that it's a sin, whatever your belief system is. It's when we put that into law that it becomes a problem. Um, and I, I think, you know, what I, what I, what I tend to say to folks that I encounter that are, that do feel like abortion is wrong is that, you know, that exact thing, um, you know, it's, it's your belief system, but we don't live in a theocracy. Um, and in general, 
I think it's, it's, this is one of those highly emotional issues for a lot of people. And it's almost, in my opinion, not worth arguing with people that feel very strongly the other way. You know, people have learned that an anti-abortion position, likely through religion, you know, they might've learned that it's evil, that it's murder. They likely have family members and friends who feel the same way as them. As we've become increasingly politicized on the internet, their social media feeds are flooded with anti-abortion propaganda. The better use of our energy is to educate people who don't have a position or haven't learned about it yet. And encouraging those people to speak up, especially young men, Thomas, (laughs) to have candid conversations, to sign petitions, and to vote, that's what we can do to make a difference. Um, And, you know, trust me, as someone who has lost sleep at night, thinking, you know, playing conversations in my mind about, you know, what I would have with family members who feel differently than I will. Um, that's not, you know, it's just, it's just not the best use of your time. Um, and there's a lot of people in the middle or who don't know anything about this issue. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily because I feel like logic and reason <laughs> will win the day. Oh, do you, Thomas? I also haven't uh, <laughs> nearly as much time thinking about it, talking about this as you. So one, one thing you just said, so it's not murder. So let's, let's nail it down on that. So someone says a organism has been procreated. Uh, there's some kind of collection of cells at the very least and tissue uh, in this, in this womb that is being removed from the process of being nurtured to grow into a, a human being. So, you know, to play devil's advocate, also ironic use of that term because the devil, <laughs> yeah. uh, but how, how is, how is that not murder then to, to follow up on that statement you made just to flush out this discussion? So again, I, I really think it's important to not get bogged down in anti-abortion propaganda, but I will just give you my thoughts. Um, so, you know, that's a religious belief that life begins at conception and I'm not here to like theorize or like moralize whether or not that's true. Um, if you believe that, then don't get an abortion, you know? (laughs) And I think what that also underscores is a lack of empathy and respect for the life of the person that's pregnant and what they have to offer to the world and what their situation is. Um, so it's just one of those things. It's, it's another reason why, you know, abortion advocates tend to not try to get bogged down in that exact conversation because, and you know, it's, it's a fundamental mind shift that people aren't willing to make. Hmm. Okay. I think that's, that's interesting just because it's part of it for someone's decision-making, you know, what's that line for them where they are comfortable and, and where they mm-hmm. are not comfortable. Yeah. I can't, I don't want us to get bogged down in like, what is life? You know, what is, what are the rights of the fetus? (laughs) I think that's, that's where people get lost. And that's where they miss the fundamental point that, you know, my, as a woman, you know, my rights, my future, my success are completely unaccounted for when that's the argument. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does. That, that totally makes sense. I just think that it's, it's, part of the reality and it's something that I think we need to talk about too, you know, if only for 
educational purposes so people can think about it and, and make their own decision about what they want to do. I mean, I yeah. agree with that. Yeah, totally. And I, and I agree with, with what you're saying because after, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of say uh, someone is pro-life, but okay. What about the, the next 18 years of that person's life? You know, the social services after they're born or just even, yeah. And then, yeah. So I, I think there's a lot, it's, it's kind of one of those easy, easy things to take the moral high ground on because sure, like who doesn't want to protect innocent you know, <laughs> babies, Yeah, but it's not, it's a lot more complicated than that. And I think it kind of fits into this, um, yeah. you know, infuriating gray zone yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that we, uh, we play in a lot. And if you, if you are pro-life, are you also anti-death penalty? Are you against guns? <laughs> Do you support, efforts to mitigate climate change. Like these are all things that also affect human life. But again, it's, it's the power of this anti-abortion movement. They've co-opted the phrase, they've made it a binary and it's just simply not a binary. Okay. So for those out there who want to learn more or kind of get educated and, and get involved, and maybe they haven't really thought about this critically, where can they go to, to learn more and how can they get involved in their own local local politics. Yes. So there is lots you can do. Uh, and I think it's important when you hear conversations like this to have takeaway things to do. Um, so as I talked about, the best thing you can do is vote in the 2022 elections and all elections for that matter, <laughs> who we elect next and their stance on abortion will have implication for abortion access for years to come in your state. Um, and again, I'll link to some resources where you can check out where abortion stands in your particular list state. Um, but in terms of preparing for the 2022 elections, there are a lot of really great nonpartisan tools you can use. So I'll plug my organization's tool, uh, vote411.org, has all the information you need to vote, including information on your candidates, how to register. The primary elections, which are the elections that happen before the general elections, are happening now, and the general will happen in November. So get ready to vote. Make a plan. Thomas, you're going to be abroad. Make a plan to vote. <laughs> uh, the second thing you can do is have conversations like this one. Talk to your family and friends about abortion rights and about why it's important to vote. Um, I'm happy to link to some more resources about how to do things like start a voter registration drive. It's a lot easier than you think. And the third thing to kind of watch and, and look for is that there might be an opportunity to protect abortion rights at the through federal legislation, but we would need all U.S. senators on board. So there's, you know, behind the scenes things happening right now in the U.S. Senate about potentially bringing um, just sweeping legislation uh, up for a vote that would protect abortion access no matter what happens at the state level. So contact your senators, express support for abortion rights. That's really important. And then sharing messaging is very important too. So helping to spread the word that right now abortion is currently legal, healthcare clinics are open, and then donating to abortion funds and healthcare clinics is another really important, easy thing that you can do. So there are abortion funds which help 
assist women, low-income women with the expenses related to abortion. So, you know, travel resources, if they don't have health care, you know, helping to cover the cost out of pocket. Um, so in Pennsylvania, you know, there's one called the Pennsylvania Liberation Abortion Liberation Fund, but there's one in every state. Uh, so especially if you live in a, in a state where you do have access to quality care and like in California, you know, your, your rights are not going to be limited. Giving to funds in other states where their rights are very limited is a great thing to do. It might make you feel a little bit better about what's going on as well. <laughs> awesome. Cool, Megan. Well, thank you for coming on the pod to talk about this and share your, your passion and your expertise. And yeah, I just want to echo your sentiment that I think like with all or many uncomfortable topics, just talking about it, be, be brave, you know, talk about it with the people you care about. And I think also ask, ask the, the tough questions and, and figure out, you know, with this, for example, like when does, when does each individual consider life to begin? Right. I think that's, if that's part of the process of decision-making, then think about it and figure it out for yourself. Right. That's kind of all we can do. And do your research with reputable sources is the only other thing that I'd add. There are great resources by medical professionals <laughs> that you should be reading. Um, and I'll, I'll send links to those. True. That's that's a great point. It's probably not a gut feeling thing. It's really not a gut feeling thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, look, look at the science, right? Look at the data. Let's look yeah. at the science. <laughs> Let's look at the awesome. statistics about how people do better when they have access to this care. You know, let's look at those. <laughs> For sure. Mm-hmm. So the the three things game has been replaced, Megan. You might you might not know there's a new game in the mix. That's so it's called creative. Spark by Seek Discomfort, and it's a pretty good conversation game. So do you want to go first or second? Um, I'll go second. All right. Okay. Here's my question. What's something I'm battling right now that you can't see? Something that you're personally battling or that I'm battling? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll answer this. Okay. So what am I battling right now? Just this, these abortion restrictions, man. They're not just kidding. Uh, But actually, yeah, I am. I'm good. Well, no. Processing. Well, I wanted to get back to therapy. Just the last couple of months have been pretty hectic, and I want to do some processing. Yeah. I think that's smart. Check yeah. in for your mind. Check in for my mind. That's Check what I'm. That, that's the the internal struggle that I'm uh, processing. I love that. Okay, here's your question. If someone hurt me the way you have been hurt before, what advice would you give me? If someone hurt me the way I was hurt before, what advice would I give myself? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, how would you help someone who has experienced what you've experienced? Oh, I see. So I would say that the only way out is through and to take time to process what's happened to you, to have conversations with friends to go to therapy, to exercise, to journal, to spend time in nature, and to really sit in what's what's going on. 
I think we do a lot more harm than good to our mental health if we decide that we want to push through hurt and pain and not kind of sit in it, even though it's challenging. The only way out is through. (laughs) The light in me acknowledges and honors the light in you, Megan. (laughs) Beautiful. Good advice. Cool. Well, Megan, thanks so much. I will link to all of the uh, items you referenced and thanks for helping to facilitate this conversation as it is uh, an ongoing issue as of this week in May of uh, 2022. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. And I hope this inspires many more conversations on this issue because it really matters. Cheers. Thanks, Megan. <laughs>